Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're concluding our series, A Portrait of Christian Faithfulness, today with a message entitled, God's People at Peace. So let's turn in our Bibles to 3 John, verses 11 to 14, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I sometimes like to take my motorcycle and ride it to a small ocean community close to where I live. And when I get there, I I pack a good book in my bags and I ride out to a coffee shop overlooking the ocean. I buy a cup of coffee and I settle down for a satisfying read. And I must tell you, it's one of my great delights. I mean, you have to imagine me, my motorcycle, the ocean, you know, a big, heavy theological tome in my hand. I'm in those moments as close to heaven as I'm going to get on this earth. But alas, my plans don't always work out. Just the other day, I was pulling my motorcycle into a parking spot, and I pulled up beside three other motorcycles. And I sat down, book in hand, and three guys riding bikes were close to me, and one of them made a mention to the fact that, wow, that's a pretty big book. What is it, he said. How to answer. I was reading John Piper's 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy. It's a wonderful work about 21 outstanding Christians in history and how their lives were flawed, and yet they were faithful and they found their joy and beauty and glory in God. How do I tell these three bikers what I'm reading? Well, I tried. And immediately, I had a conversation on my hands. I told them about a man named Martin Luther who nailed 95 theses on the door of a church in Germany and how the world was changed after that by that one man who believed that the Bible and not the church had the final word on everything. But alas, all things didn't go well. In no time, my three newfound friends told me how they believed the church controlled people using fear and that it was greed for money that motivated the church. Ah, there we were. Three men, it turns out, who had some past in the church and deeply mistrusted it. Look, I don't know their stories, and they weren't telling me, but this I do know. You don't have to look far to find critics of the church. Some criticisms, like from these three men, are based primarily on prejudice and anger, and other criticisms are based on very real failures in the church. Let me contrast the story of those three men with another young Korean man that I know. He stopped going to church. Something unjust happened in his church, and, well, he just stopped going. Now, he wasn't personally hurt. He was just disillusioned. He still believes in Jesus. He just doesn't want to go to church. He finds it too discouraging. He hasn't come to the conclusion that he hates the church, or he doesn't think that you can follow Jesus and not go to church. I don't think he's come to any conclusions at all, except he's just stopped going. Is he a critic of the church? I think he is but he's a quiet critic who's just wandered away. You know, I've been in church ministry long enough to know that there are plenty of critics of the church and plenty of wounded people as well. And furthermore, I guess I'm a critic as well. Although in my case, I've come to believe that I'm just as sinful as the local church. And yet I believe that the church is the bride of Christ and I see the local church in, I guess, very positive terms. I love the church. The church has sustained my spiritual life. Some of my richest friendships are found at church, and I've learned to serve my Savior from the church. I was called into ministry at my home church. I have been loved in ways that no other institution in the world knows how to love, like the local church. I learned my purpose in life within the context of my church. 
God ordained that it should be that way. And when we come to the end of this very short book, 3 John, we should be able to see the very things that we're talking about, both the problems and the potential of the local church. We should see the point of what the critics are talking about, but we're just never going to agree with them. We've been studying the shortest book in the Bible, 3 John. It's a short one-week study in which we've seen that 3 John is encouragement for what we might call everyday faithful Christians. Gaius, the man who received this short note, was not a pastor or probably not even a leader in his local church. But he opens his home to traveling missionaries and preachers, evangelists and theologians and teachers. These were the days before the New Testament was completed, and these itinerant teachers were absolutely essential in establishing the local church in the truth. And so Gaius took them in and housed them and made sure their needs were met and that they could teach and direct his local church. In reality, Gaius serves as an excellent example of countless faithful Christians whose gifts are being used to enhance the aroma of love and faithful commitment to the truth. And their testimony has brought out the beauty and the loveliness of the local church. If you've been called to be a man or a woman like Gaius, the book of 3 John is a powerful encouragement to you. This small book is incentive to, to keep on with a sure knowledge that, that there is a great reward reserved for you in heaven. But we also learn that alongside of faithful Gaius, there's another man, Diotrephes. He's a power player in the church, and he puts godly Christians out of the church. He represents what's wrong with the church. His thirst for power has disrupted not just the harvest, and that's tragic, but also the ability of the church to teach what is true and what's lovely. And John promises that when he comes, he's going to expose Diotrephes. As we come to the end of this brief letter, we, we encounter a third Christian, and this one is also a faithful everyday believer. So let's read 3 John verses 11 and 12. Beloved, do not imitate evil but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Now, before we consider the first part of this short passage, I mean, you know, the part about imitating what's good and rejecting what's evil, let's consider the man who is worthy of imitation. In this case, John mentions a man named Demetrius. As is true of the other two men, that is, Gaius and Diotrephes, we know very little about Demetrius, who he was and what he did and how he lived his life. Well, that's disappeared into history. No one's going to write a book about his life. He's just another everyday Christian. You know, some have suggested that this Demetrius is the same man mentioned in Acts 19, verse 24. That passage says, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. So you might remember in Acts 19 that this Demetrius inspired a riot against Paul in the city of Ephesus. You know, if this Demetrius in 3 John is the same man, then, well, we've got to assume that he had a glorious conversion and that God changed him from within. Now, if that is the case, we are reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. And there we learn that the church was made up of people who were at one time sexually immoral, adulterers, 
homosexuals, thieves, drunkards, and, says Paul, idolaters. Well, if that were the case, well, then that would be quite a story. But, of course, we we simply don't know. And if I were to wager a guess, I'd, I'd say that, like Gaius, Demetrius was a very common name, and, and most likely this here in 3 John is a different Demetrius than the one found in the book of Acts. See, we don't know how Demetrius got saved or what God had done in his life. But whatever his story, it's the same story in the lives of countless men and women who make up the church of Jesus Christ. But what do we know for certain about this Demetrius? Well, we actually know three things. In fact, if you look closely at verse 12, you'll see that John uses the word testimony three times. The Greek word here is the word martus, and it's the word from which we get our English word martyr. Now, we know that a martyr is someone who's killed for the faith, but in the Greek, marturion was a witness. So you might imagine a trial in which eyewitnesses are called forward, and their task is to testify to what they've seen. And if you think of a martyr within that context, those who sacrifice their lives for the gospel are witnessing that the joy of being in Christ far surpasses the joy of living in this world. And that, my dear friends, is quite a testimony. It's hard to argue with that kind of a testimony. But Demetrius, as he grew in Christ, had his own martyrs or his own witness. Our Bible calls it a testimony. That is, Demetrius had a very peculiar testimony. Indeed, John notices that he has had a threefold witness. And so, let's listen to his testimony. You know, first, says John, his testimony is that he is spoken well of by everybody. Now, everybody within the context of 3 John, that probably referred to two different groups. The first group are the itinerant preachers, and they would have spoken well of him. And most likely, John also meant that people in the local church where he attended also spoke well of him. So what does that mean? Well, the Greek verb that John uses here to describe him really is quite a revealing verb. So stay tuned, and we'll learn more about this unremarkable and yet faithful man. From February 7th to 16th, 2020, make plans to join us for our Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Southern Caribbean Cruise. You'll be sailing the seas for nine days aboard Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas, visiting Aruba, Curacao, Bonaire, and more. You'll be joining Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and now confirm special friends and musicians Shane and Angela Weeb. I guarantee you'll be spiritually enriched and challenged, you'll laugh and be encouraged, and you'll enjoy great fellowship and refreshment. The Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Caribbean Cruise is a unique opportunity for connection, and we'd love to see you join us. Come on your own or with family and friends as you enjoy incredible ports of call, everything the ship has to offer, and a week of ministry designed specifically for the occasion. Check it all out at backtothebible.ca, laughagain.ca, or call 1-800-663-2425. When John says that Demetrius received a good testimony from everyone, you know, this verb, well spoken of, well, it's the Greek 
perfect tense. Uh, the way the Greeks use the perfect tense makes us believe that, that John is communicating that, that he knows that people have spoken well of Demetrius over a very long period of time and that to this day, his testimony of the truth is still effective. And here's the truth. Regardless of how much you concentrate on the shortcomings of the church, bad decisions, poor pastors, failure to listen to those who are hurting, no matter the examples that you dredge up, if you're honest, you will no doubt know men and women who look a great deal like this man, Demetrius. Without fanfare, they were lovers. Without fanfare, they volunteered. They took interest in you. They were concerned about you. You might have seen them with a bended knee as the church prayed together. And you saw the earnestness in their faces. You might have seen them volunteering when something was needed. And you no doubt noticed that they shunned the limelight but that their redeemed lives testified that Jesus is indeed good. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 6. There we read of a problem in the early church. You know, the Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. You know, widows in that day were completely dependent on others to have their basic needs met. What if there was no family standing behind them? So the early church immediately began to oversee the distribution of food. But in the process, they took care of some widows and they neglected others. And for those who were being neglected, well, isn't that just another example of the failure of the church? So listen to the words of the apostles recorded in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, they said. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Ah, there it is. Pick out seven men who have an excellent reputation among you. And that was it. Seven men who were well spoken of by the church would oversee this daily task while the apostles gave themselves to teaching and preaching. Well, down the road, Demetrius would become a man like that. And still later on, we see that in many others. So if you want to know what's good about the local church, let me say this. If you cut yourself off from the local church, you're going to miss the many men and women like Demetrius, and your life will be impoverished because of it. Because truth be told, there are many like him in every single local church. Remember, we'd noticed that John speaks of a threefold testimony of Demetrius. First, he's well-spoken of. Second, John mentions that he has received a good testimony from everyone, but this is a curious way to put it, but that Demetrius has also received a good testimony from the truth. That is, the truth that is in Jesus speaks well of Demetrius. How do we understand that? I think the explanation is both simple and actually quite profound. Yesterday, my daughter told me that her youngest son, now five years old, had just prayed to invite Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. Well, that's great news. But what my grandson said next, well, caused all of us to chuckle. See, after praying, he lifted up his head and said, I hope that worked. <laughs> well, I do too. But here's my dream for my grandson, Dylan. If Christ delays his coming and Dylan grows up to be as old as his grandfather is today, I pray that his life will truly exemplify the truth of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I pray that when Dylan is my age, 
He'll be filled with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I pray that he will breathe out love for Christ and will testify to the grace that came to him through the cross every day of his life. I pray that with deep and lasting satisfaction, he will say, yeah, it worked. That's what I find in John's peculiar words here, that the truth itself testifies to the life of this man, Demetrius. Everything the gospel says is true is found in him. And then John mentions a third witness or testimony. He simply says, we also add our testimony. We includes John and it, I guess it includes the leadership of the church. Now, at this point, you might be wondering why John's mentioning Demetrius in this way. Is it because he's just spoken of a man named Diotrephes, who represents the very worst of the church? Was it important after so denouncing that man, Diotrephes, for whom the truth was not bearing witness, a man who was a power player in the local church, getting his own way and not caring who was hurt in the process? Is it important to contrast those two men? Well, perhaps, because you might remember that John begins this section by encouraging us not to imitate evil, but to imitate good. And in the process, John gives us these two examples. Who do you want to be like? Diotrephes, the power player, the man who controls things and who seems to call the shots, or this Demetrius, the man whose life has been transformed by Jesus. Yeah, it may be that John has just shown us both the ugliness that is present in the local church as well as the beauty. It may be that John knows how easy it is for us to fasten our eyes on men like Diotrephes. Perhaps we have because of men like Diotrephes wanted to leave the church, or perhaps we've admired them and wanted to be like them. After all, they seem so powerful. You know, John is saying, look, we all need role models. Don't you dare imitate power players. Imitate men and women whose lives showcase the loveliness of the Jesus who transforms the heart through his gospel. Imitate those who, after they prayed the prayer to receive Christ, have a testimony that works. But there's another little detail about Demetrius that I've almost overlooked. You know, many Bible teachers believe that the letter of 3 John, written from John to this man named Gaius, was actually delivered to him by this man named Demetrius. And mentioning Demetrius by name should be a signal to Gaius in a day when wicked men are sometimes creating havoc in the church. He's saying, look, don't you forget that there are many more men and women to whom the truth testifies that Jesus Christ is Lord that he transforms human lives. We now come to the end of 3 John, and I'm reading verses 13 to 15. John writes, I had much to write you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. You know, this closing section is almost identical to the last words found in 2 John. And if you followed me all the way through this short series, you will have heard me say that 2nd and 3rd John are twin letters, but they're not identical twins. But at the end of the two books, they do look like identical twins. And that's because 2nd John ends by saying, though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. See, that's very similar, and it it makes us believe that John wrote both of these short notes, probably one right after the other. 
But like always, it's important to slow down and notice the differences here. Are there any? I think there's one. It's probably a slight difference. But in the case of 3 John, John adds one word, and it's the word soon. I hope to come to you soon, he says. That's probably because in the case of 3 John, the problem with Diotrephes, who's causing harm to the church, needed to be dealt with without delay. And this much I know. When wicked men flourish in the church, people take their eyes off of those who have been transformed by Christ. But apart from that one difference, 3 John, like 2 John, speaks about what's good in the local church. I could write so much more, says John, but I long to talk face to face. That's a bit of an idiom because quite literally it says mouth to mouth, wagging chins, interacting, eyes locked onto each other. If there's something to say, I don't want to write it, I want to say it in your presence. And this is why the church will always be irreplaceable. The church is not an institution, it's, it's people, people who interact, people who talk to one another people who long to see each other face to face. And furthermore, the last words of 3 John, that the friends with John send greetings, tells all Christians that our circle of friends is wide simply because we're the church. How many Christians send greetings to other Christians in other churches? We get to know more and more people. Exactly. That's why John ends with the words, peace to you. Peace be to God's holy people. Peace be to the millions and millions of faithful everyday Christians whose lives and whose conduct reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be to the Church of Jesus. John, as we come to the conclusion of this series, you know, and you spoke to him, just just wondering, what do we say to those people that just seem so critical of the church and, and they look at all the faults of the church? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, for people who say there are so many hypocrites, my response is, yep, there sure are. I guess if I look at my own life, I've seen my own failures. Maybe someone looks at me that way too, although I pray to God it's not so. Uh, so I think in one sense, we should not try to hide our warts and just simply say, yeah, there they are. However, I mean, from today's study, I'm just overwhelmed. Um, how, where else but in the church do you find people who are out of the limelight, who work so tirelessly, who are motivated by such love for Christ, whose lives radiate that? I mean, that's what's good about the church. Let's talk about that too. Thanks so much, John. And thanks for joining us this week. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Everyone knows about the physical world, but what about the spiritual one? This is the world that isn't typically accessible through our five senses, but it is just as real. In his latest series, The Invisible War, Dr. John Neufeld dives into the spiritual world, highlighting that it's an arena of great struggle, but also an expression of God's glory. Listen next week as we learn about the battle going on all around us. The costs of this war are human souls, but the reward is eternity with Christ. So join us and be encouraged that although the battle is great, we have been promised that in the end, Christ will win the invisible war. For more information about the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 
or head over to backtothebible.ca.